Debates revolve around two ideas that are oppositional. And this is happening right now in the networking industry between decentralized edge computing or a more centralized network system. And as often true in debates, the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle. Meet Raj Yavitkar, CTO of Juniper Networks. He believes the answer to our future is that we will depend on both decentralized and centralized networks. So before I get into the debate, which is a very interesting debate, let me say that three factors, a trio of trains are coming together. People are moving more and more workloads to the public cloud. The 5G infrastructure, which is very dense, but, and there are microcells, and there's a densification of the traffic, which is at the edge. And third is the new applications based on AI, ML, and analytics. So when you look at all these three trends, it's not so much as sending the traffic to the public cloud. You're using edge from multiple reasons. In this episode of IT Visionaries, Raj proposes that networks will become both things simultaneously as they become increasingly aggregated at the edge. He also shares how major breakthroughs are going to lead to teleportation via quantum networking. And this is going to happen at scale. And the first signs of success are occurring right now. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, special guest, CTO of Juniper Networks, Raj Yavatkar, welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. Uh, very happy to be here and look forward to the conversation. Yes, we are as well. Now, first off, I believe everyone knows what Juniper does, but you never know. So we always ask our guests, please, could you tell our audience what is Juniper Networks and exactly what does Juniper do? Yeah, so if you use internet, you use Juniper. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so Juniper is probably the number one provider of high-speed routers that run the internet, but we also provide other networking equipment, software, and applications uh, which are related to networking across internet, public cloud, your private data centers and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you do anything with the internet, which is now everybody, I believe everybody. By the way, I was recently in El Salvador and I think people don't recognize that even in what you would consider a maybe a, a developing country like El Salvador, the amount of people that use mobile devices is extraordinary. And in fact, mobile devices are actually how people watch TV, which means they need Juniper. Talk about what modern consumption has required of the network because, you know, we read some articles about video distributed edge, cloud drives, private 5G networks, all things that you're very much so involved in and going to continue to be involved in. But then I also just watch my kids. The amount of media consumption at the edge is going through the roof, obviously. I'd love to hear where your perspective is. What is happening across the board, across your industry because of this new desire, this, un this insatiable desire of content consumption at the edge? Yeah, I think uh, the two factors that have really contributed the massive consumption, the COVID help, uh, because helped or created the demand, because now all the business people who is to travel are on Zoom calls or Teams conferencing call and all. So that's very high quality video content. Then of course, as you said, the kids are using media more and more. 60% of the traffic is video, plus the other kind of content, cloud gaming. Yeah. reality-based application. So that's also really fueling this huge demand for consumption. And that's across developing countries. 
You'll be surprised to know that one of my uh, friends is the president of Zoom. We are using Zoom here. And when he travels to India, he says, even in a small village, people know what Zoom is. <laughs> so like when I was in El Salvador, we're talking about families that, you know, are living in, you know, very humble means. Like they're clearly would be considered well below the poverty line here in the United States. You know, I don't know exactly how much money they're making, but they, they're basically investing a disproportionate amount of their income in internet access and services, cell phones, whatever the case is. And that's, you're saying that that's everywhere. That's everywhere happening right now. And it's fueled by entertainment and also information acts. Social networking is a big part of that. Yeah. So what is that doing? What does that mean for you? I guess that's the big question. What does it mean for you? Because yeah. <laughs> you're supporting that. You're moving all that data. Yeah. So I think, as I told you last year, COVID also see service providers or telcos are a big customers, right? And they saw a humongous increase in demand. And that demand is twofold now. At the edge, uh, which is important because it's not just in the core of the internet, but even the core of the internet saw a huge increase in traffic demand. That's good for us because we sell the equipment as well as software and services. So we saw big increase in demand, but also that's happening with enterprises because people started working remotely from home. That's all at the edge because if you are sitting at home and participating in any of your business calls or uh, conferencing, all that traffic is at the edge of the network. It's going to either software-defined van or your normal connections to your data center at the enterprise or to the public cloud. And all that is also completely new, which creates a huge demand and uh, opportunities for us to deliver new services, new applications. Yeah. And one of the things that we're also seeing, and we've had different guests on debate this side of the angle, I'm curious to hear your perspective, is so there's a desire from faster and faster services. That's undoubtable. And then the idea of edge computing. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean meaning compute to the edge? Because there's a lot of data centers that say that. Like, for example, oh, if you use a data center closer to where you are, you'll be able to access services faster, get better experience. If you have faster networks, we'll also have people that say, well, if the network's fast enough, you don't need localized data center. You can actually run the traffic right back to, let's say Ashburn. I'm in the East Coast. So Ashburn, we already know Ashburn's like the hub of East Coast internet, right? So that it's because internet's going to be so blazing fast, you can run it to Ashburn and get it back in time and you won't notice the difference. And so I'm assuming I understand where Juniper would sit, but I'd love to hear your perspective on those two arguments. Like, is compute going to move to the edge or is it really network traffic that's going to allow edge computing to happen because they're going to have central processing, but move traffic and data so fast? So before I get into the debate, which is a very interesting <laughs> debate, let me say that three, three factors, a trio of sort of uh, uh, trains that are coming together. Right. People are moving more and more workloads to the public cloud. Yep. The 5G infrastructure, which is very dense, by the way, and there are microcells and there's an urban densification of the traffic, which is at the edge. And third is the new applications based on AI, ML, and analytics. So when you look at all these three trends, it's not so much as sending the traffic to the public cloud. You're using edge for multiple reasons. One is some applications require low latency. And that's low latency will be served best by the edge, like cloud gaming, augmented reality. More important is sending data to the public cloud all the way and getting response back is very costly. Yeah. You have to pay for the transfer. So edge makes it more efficient. Then there, of course, there are data sovereignty, GDPR-like regulations, which require in some countries that you cannot send the data to the public cloud all the way if it's crossing the national boundary. That also is making sure edge is important. And applications are moving there because if you look at applications like smart manufacturing, they have robots doing the, uh, lots of the manufacturing and the control has to be local. 
cannot be sent all the way to the public cloud. Mm. Smart retail, smart healthcare. One of the examples, I just talked to one of the ports, shipping ports. They are trying to make sure they have 5G connectivity, private 5G connectivity, because they want to, they're automating a lot of operations and that needs to be protected and done locally. So there are all these things are reason for edge computing to happen and the network traffic to be consolidated or aggregated at the edge. So talk about a little bit about the problems you're actively attempting to solve now because you know 5G is relatively new. And then the one thing I remember when I used to be in the infrastructure space is we would you know, sell internet connectivity and it would have capacity. You would always plan for peak capacity, but what in reality, most businesses don't need peak capacity all the time. <laughs> it just doesn't happen, right? So like in a sense, one would think that, well, all equipment's already here. It's already here to do this, but there's still innovations being tasked and asked of you. Talk about what your role now looks like in regards to like, what are some of the problems Juniper is attempting to solve? Because you would think from an outsider, like, oh, we've, we've now solved the next wave. We're moving on to the next wave. But I'm curious, what is that next wave? How much more capacity do we need? Yeah, but it's not just capacity, right? If you look at edge, edge is uh, also divided into two parts now, so-called near edge and far edge. You know, <laughs> near, this, right? near edge, because if you have a lot of IoT devices, sensors and all, yeah. that data has to be aggregated in the edge cloud or edge data center, which is the near edge data center. There's a far edge data center where service providers or telcos are in a great position. Because they have real estate, they have central offices everywhere. They are pops everywhere. They can easily have a data center to service those needs. Both of those are opportunities for us because not only we provide uh, equipment, we provide connectivity to software applications like SDBAM. We are trying to do a lot more fabric automation for those so that operational complexity can go down. Because one of our true north right now is experience first networking. They're saying it's not enough to provide equipment to provide faster, more reliable, highly available internet, but also make sure we focus on delivering experience or so operational experience and your experience is much better. So what does that mean for the business, for Juniper? What's that mean for you guys, the better experience? So I'll give you a concrete example, right? We introduced an automation suite called Paragon Automation Suite for our, all our van portfolio, our transport core. Traditionally, these, this equipment, this capacity was done manually. By providing workflow automation, by providing automated tools for capacity planning, for actually operationalizing the network, when you add a new device or you replace one device, we are providing that kind of automation so that if you're an operator, you need less people, more automation, and get much better operational experience. Mm. That's number one. For the edge data center, we acquired a company called Abstra, which does a closed loop fabric automation. That means what they do is that they call, they use intent-based networking, explicit intent in a high-level language, what your fabric should be doing, network fabric. And they constantly monitor that against the current state, operational state, to make sure your network continues to operate correctly. And if there's any problem happening, they can immediately detect it and provide suggestions for fixing it. So those sort of opportunities are more and more in edge computing, edge data centers in market. So one of the things from my past experience when I worked in software is when we were working with customers, whenever the CTO got involved, it was typically because the customer wanted to do something that was not available today, right? So when you meet with customers, what are some of the things that some of your customers are looking to accomplish that, you know, maybe the equipment isn't quite ready yet? Like you guys have to do some more advancements to get there. What are some of the needs that people have out there? Um, because that's one of the more fascinating things about where the space is going is 
you know, obviously we see what's in front of us and we can experience what some of these new features and services are. But then there's the there's the unknown, which is what are people asking you that they want to unlock? Because that's kind of gives us our audience a picture of what the future might might hold. Yeah, and that's a very good question because you know that runs the gamut of things people talk to. <laughs> I'll give some simpler example and a more complicated. Simpler example I got uh, heard from multiple customers recently more. They hate the fact that the cable fails, and for that they have to experience downtime. Mm. First of all, identify which cable failed and then to replace it. So they would like us to make sure it's automated. Because we, anybody who's providing a switch or router should be able to tell when a cable is disconnected. Yeah. Because you know, they have onboard sensor. So that's a simpler example where you can apply automation to not only detect, but more importantly, people want to do predictive maintenance. See, if you look at Boeing and planes, they do aircraft maintenance is more predictive. They don't wait until the uh, engine fails. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> Why can't we apply similar principle here? Do predictive analytics. You know that what rate the cables and switch ports fail. So predictive analytics will allow you to do proactive maintenance, including automation of RMA. That means replacement of parts. You order them. You don't worry about supply chain constraints. You account for that. And the part is there and you're ready to replace it even before it fails. That's number one I've heard from multiple customers. The second people say that I operated data centers. Now, because of age, now what's happening, the data centers are everywhere. The small data centers, micro data centers, medium-sized data centers, give me data center as a service. So don't tell me how you bring up the data center. <laughs> you do it yourself and offer me that as a service. So I can simply make an API call or make a click of a button and user interface, and I get up a data center set up very quickly and start operationalizing. So those are the examples, which sort of are two ends of the spectrum. Wait a second. The data center. So I want to talk about both of these because one, I want to hear. So I'm going to prepare our audience a little bit and then we'll dive into each one. One, I want to hear how you solve, basically solve physical problems, right? Like you said, cable deterioration. Obviously, there's no real way to fix that besides replacing the cable. So I'd love to hear that unless you have already prepared a second cable, a backup. In which case, both cables have to fail. <laughs> All right. So that's one. I want to talk about how that's going to work. And then on the data center one, which certainly we need to talk about that as well, because I mean, I thought data centers were already kind of like data centers at a service because data centers already are starting to operationalize, you know, short-term rentals, maybe month-to-month contracts, you know, storage racks, rigs, whatever. They're now offering more palatable terms so that people will use those pieces of equipment. So I'd love to hear you explain a little bit of both. Let's start with the cables. So like, yeah, physical components fail in any type of business, physical components, any type of operation that uses physical components, physical components have a lifetime. They don't work forever, right? And, and of course they get damaged. So how will you fix this preemptively? Is it through just maintenance? They're both, right? The first is if it fails, how do you detect it? Yeah. And how can we pinpoint that if you have a fabric with a bunch of racks of switches and routers, which one failed? You should not have to send somebody to that right to find yeah. it. Right? That automatically can be done if your sensors and you give an alert from the equipment. There is certain cadence at which these components will fail. Right? You can use statistical analysis to determine, or you can use artificial intelligence to do predictive analytics on a set of things based on historical data, not at just one customer, by the way. We collect data from all the customers. Right. 
We have much better insights and we can use that to schedule maintenance in advance. Because scheduling maintenance at two o'clock in the morning is much better than two p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> makes total sense. So that would be on the services side. Yeah, that makes total sense. If I'm if I've installed a huge fabric, like let's say um, I don't know, let's say I'm, like you said, edge retail. I'm a big retail store, thousands of locations, constantly figuring out how much is being transacted, what my inventory levels are across a thousand places. My network goes down. Yeah. Actually, I don't want it to go down. I want you to tell me that store ABC needs a little help. You know, or <laughs> that's what they're looking for, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think other industries have mastered this. Like aircraft maintenance is a good example, right? I told you. Mm-hmm. They have certain ways to know when the mechanical fatigue kicks in. And they, before it kicks in, they do something about it. So similar principles can be applied here. So is that what Juniper is doing? Is like, so is it have a local, I don't know, what is it? Is it sensors, sensors and software inside of each of the machines reporting the data back to central HQ where it's evaluating all the machines? How do you begin to implement that kind of process? Yeah, so we're calling it Apex, Apex uh, Essentials in the sense that collect data from, see, customers have to be comfortable to share the data. Yeah. Right? We collect the data, but send it to a central cloud where we can apply AI ML-based engine to use that data. And more and more customers are open to that. So we are beginning to do that, right? That's awesome. The number two, I mentioned data center and a service, and you asked me a very good question. There's all a data center happening. But imagine as more and more edge computing happens closer, the question is, should the enterprise set up its own data center or simply use somebody else's data center in a multi-tenant environment right. so you can share the infrastructure? So that question is coming up increasingly. Yeah. So more and more people are trying to do that. And curious, like, what are some of the things that p- these businesses, so these are the setups they need? Because you sit in a unique seat because you probably get to see a little bit about what this is going to unlock, right? When these services are available, when I have better maintenance, when I have more edge compute, when I have more compute capacity, whatever, at the edge, I'm going to unlock something, right? You know, a game like Fortnite doesn't exist 10 years ago. It can't function, right? What are some of the things that you think are going to be unlocked? So I'll start with the mundane example and go to more sexy example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Public safety, right? Okay. People are beginning to deploy drones for public safety mm. in a high crime area, in a night, fire detection. The wildfires are becoming very common in the West, especially. Yeah. But those drones are equivalent to IoT devices. And they require now completely, completely new sort of edge-based application to collect the data, react, and be able to send alerts or call in the fire department or in the case of uh, public safety, police and all. Especially in uh, places like concerts, airports, those things are going to be very important. Mm. So those applications are creating new demand. Uh, some startups are also looking at them. Other extreme is more access is cloud gaming. People are more and more doing cloud gaming. Yeah. I love video games, right? But the younger generation, they grew up completely with that world and they want to be immersed in it. Immersive cloud gaming requires very low latency, high bandwidth, and it has to happen to the edge. It cannot be done to the public cloud, yeah. right? For yeah. many reasons, efficiency reasons also. Why send the data all the way when your peers are, your cohorts are also new. So that's another example where there's a lot of opportunity for delivering new kinds of applications and services. Yeah. I'm thinking about like, what is entertainment going to look like in the future? Uh, because, you know, when I think of uh, modern game, I, I joke about it in all the episodes, but when I play modern games with my son, I always think to myself, man, I don't even know what's happening anymore. And he, he'll explain to me like, 
you know, that he's in a world, it's Fortnite, and there's a hundred other players, and they're all simultaneously playing in the same world, or Roblox, which I think is even more players. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, how is this happening? <laughs> I, I like it, that the, the aspect of that you see in the flip side is that more and more media companies are buying into the streaming services, and they are they're becoming a streaming service provider. Disney is an example. Others are, right? And Amazon uh, Video Prime, they're uh, acquiring MGM. Like mm-hmm. So when that happens, the infrastructure, the line uh, between the infrastructure and who is providing the content is getting blurred, and they will come together. And they come together at the edge in market. That's where all the action is. There you go. Now, how about for yourself? Talk a little bit about your background. How did you get into, was there a specific moment in your career where you're like, hey, I'm going all in on networking and uh, <laughs> equipment? Or was it something you were interested in from the very beginning? Or is it something you more grew into? So I came to this country as a student to do my PhD in computer networking. And please, uh, I think I give credit to one of my mentors in India when I was uh, an undergraduate engineering who really was a big into distributed systems and networking was a major part of that. So I started my career in networking with my PhD. I was in academics for some time, then I went to industry. So I've been doing networking for too long, in my opinion. (laughs) So from the very beginning, you were all, because we looked you up on LinkedIn, we could see computer science and, uh, you know, electronics engineering backgrounds, you know, but that's not very specific. So you've been in, you've been a network focused person from the very beginning. Yeah, and I had a fortune. I was very fortunate to work with people who are internet pioneers as PhD students. So, Windsurf, who is the father of the internet, I used to be a scribe for him as a graduate student when he stood on the internet architecture board. My advisor, PhD advisor, was one of the big names in the internet that time when internet was not uh, consumable by ordinary people. It was only in academia and defense department and so on. It became more consumable with the arrival of HTTP and the browser in the 90s. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is when I was just getting into a workplace, and that really changed uh, completely the how internet is consumed. Before that, internet was created by really forty people in this country, probably, and I was part of that group as a graduate student, a peon. But you know, it's an exciting time to be close to such people: David Clark, Winsor, Doug Comer, David Farber. These are big names. So, will we be overstating your contributions if we say you helped create the internet? No, no, I would not say that. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> I was messing with you. <laughs> I, was, I was part of a team of a uh, lot of people who uh, contributed to that, but I give credit to people like Vincent and Bob Kahn, David Clark, who really were the pioneers in this area. Gotcha. And then walk us back a little bit more. What what was it specifically about networking that you that attracted you? Because it's one of those things where it's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say from the perspective of someone else I know. Someone else said it's like it's always like a puzzle. Well, it was. It's like a puzzle. Like you got to put it together. It has a. It has an answer, and it wasn't so like he said it. The way he described it was, it wasn't so obtuse. Like I knew I had to get this data from A to B, and how do I do it? Right. So my case, it was slightly different. I ended up working on a project to do distributed file system, file storage. That how how do you access files from anywhere? And underlying that was all networking. So the my mentor I was working with this on a project said. Networking is the future because this is going to, this is just one example. Yeah. Now you're going to be able to access anything from, so that's how I got interested in networking because that was the underlying magic that made you access file from anything. That was really surprising, right? <laughs> and so you've obviously had a lot of experience in networking. How would you describe the pace of innovation in this space? Because we always joke on mission side when we have a lot of guests, it's like, you know, network is actually what unlocks 
innovation because like you can't if you can't move data then what what are you creating you can't create anything it's basically stuck (laughs) it can't get from a to b and networking allows a to b to happen how would you describe what you've seen in your uh, in your career yeah so i think i think the important uh, point i'll make is that look moore's law defined the computing revolution right every 18 months the speed of the chips was double size Mm -hmm. but people forget that concurrent to that was communication which was happening at every 12 months, right? People found completely new algorithms to pack more bits into the same uh, wire. Yeah. And that piece of innovation then went to fiber optics. Fiber optics created more silicon photonics-like innovations now. So that innovation pace has been happening in the communication industry every 12 months, whereas we know the computing industry uh, doing that for every 18 months. Imagine that iPod came out first as a sort of a media player that led to iPhone. That innovation happened because of computing really going and more slow. But concurrent to that, communication has even grown faster. And that's where the innovation has happened. So what do you think is going to happen in the next uh, few years? Because we're now starting to see, for example, I think uh, in sports, for example, they're, they're filming or they're using cameras that can project in 8K. 8K <laughs> clarity. Of course, we don't have the TVs to receive it. <laughs> like none of us. Like that's that that's the. So then I'm thinking to myself, oh man, if TV can record in 8K, then they're gonna need network and bandwidth to to transport 8K, and then you're gonna need machines on the other end that, that can you know decipher that signal or render that signal. How clear are things gonna get, and what will that? It seems like it's going to unlock a lot of entertainment, but also it feels like, you know, I'm already thinking about how it's going to be used in the medical space where, you know, whenever I see like a CAT scan or anything like that, I always think that's very blurry. Like, I don't know what the doctor's looking at. They'll say like, hey, you got a bump here. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just, it's a gray dot, <laughs> right? How clear is medical imaging going to become? It's, it's pretty fascinating to think about what this capacity could potentially unlock. Yeah, but I think uh, you're absolutely right, right? The 5G is going is another strategic inflection point. So I always like to give this example, right? When HTTP and the browser happened in the, uh, 95, 90, whatever, the 90s, that really created the first revolution, that internet. We saw browser and web being used for applications and uses, use, use cases that we had not thought about, right? Then I think uh, from there, 2006, seven smartphone, iPhone was introduced with App Store. That created a one major strategic inflection point. Now we see App Store applications, Uber or Adorda. This we had not imagined. They made it happen because of smartphones fueled by internet. Right. The third revolution is about to happen because of 5G infrastructure mapping. Because 5G makes the mobile network no longer a sideshow to the internet but the heart of the internet. Yeah. It provides very low latency, very high bandwidth, and the amount of bandwidth available is going to even, gigabit is not going to be enough. It's going to be 10 gigabit at some point with 6G, 7G. So that strategic inflection point is going to fuel completely unforeseen usages. And the second part is quantum computing everybody has heard about. But have you heard of quantum networking? No. Same principles of quantum computing are being applied to quantum networking. So that rather than sending photons, you send photons, but you use qubits, quantum bits, to encode the information. And the first use of teleportation, which we all know from Star Wars, <laughs> is happening in quantum networking. That you teleport the bits, so the way you transfer the information is very different. And that completely changes the speed and the bandwidth. So your 8K TV is not a problem. 
<laughs> I'm trying to process what you just said, which is because like I think back to physics, right? When we learn about how electrons move across a conduit, it's going to be moving from point A to point B. We think of bits the same way. It's going to move from point A to point B. But now you're saying we're going to transport it. We're going to bring it down to the qubit, the quantum bits and literally just instantly transport the whole data pack exactly. to its destination. By the way, it's not science fiction. Today, the technology is coming out. Today, it's in defense labs or in some startups. I can give pointers to start, but it's going to happen. Teleportation, so quantum networking is going to happen before quantum computing happens in that sense. Because quantum computers are being built, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But quantum networking through this teleportation uh, is happening today. <laughs> so just think they could, they could, I mean, I don't know what that's going to like. You're talking about, like, I'm thinking about, you know, right now, I think all of us know someone who is probably ail, ailing, you know, and so I think of like when my father-in-law or my grandmother is going to, you know, get neuro scans, like these huge giant EMR files, and then like it's hard to distribute, like that's why you have to go to, oh, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this, but like, a lot of reason why you can't go to doctors outside your network or outside that hospital is because they can't transfer the file. Yeah, yeah. Like it sounds insane, right? Like, What do you mean I can't transfer? Like I can't send you the record to another hospital because I don't know, HIPAA compliance, I can't send it, like it won't upload. Like that's literally the reason why you can't just choose whatever doctor you want. And so like this is going to unlock, I mean, like you're saying I'm gonna, they can transport it, like teleport it, teleport the whole file, like boom, brain scan, California to DC in a second, less than a second. <laughs> I think so. Uh, 5G is here. 5G will, of course, enable uh, one strategic infection point. But the second one is quantum networking. By the way, another application of quantum networking, you would be interested in encryption of the traffic. Today, we do encryption in a certain way, but quantum encryption is completely different because the key distribution, today, the biggest hole in the security is that I send you the key so that you can decrypt what I sent you, right? Yeah. If I can intercept that key transmission, key exchange, your security is all gone. Yeah. Quantum key distribution removes that completely. Because if you touch in between, it immediately knows to the sender, uh, receiver knows that this key is compromised already, so cannot reuse. We don't know that today. We can't do that today in traditional sense, but you can do that through quantum key distribution. So some of these new fascinating new usages of quantum networking are going to be another big thing. Yeah, mind blown. <laughs> mind blown. Oh man, Raj, it's been awesome having you on the show today. But before you go, I want you to know that it is time for the lightning round, okay? The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Raj, this is where we ask you questions, short answers, nothing too deep, so that our audience can get to know a little bit more about you outside of the world of Juniper. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. All right. You said it moments ago that you're a gamer. What's your favorite game? Oh, I, I, I'm a really old-fashioned, so I, you would not believe what I, I don't play any of the modern violent games. The games I like to play with my daughter is really about building up housekeeping and housekeeping kind of games. It's a new game that uh, uh, we have been playing on. So it's not violent, it's not action, action based. So what's the name of the title? It's called Housekeeping. Oh, it sounds like a Sim City almost, where like creating worlds. Is that? It, yeah, the new version of Sim City. Sim City <laughs> was very popular maybe twenty years back. Yeah, <laughs> this allows you to do things in real time. That's what I like to do. That's cool. When you pick up a modern joystick, do you know what's going on? Because I always complain about it. Like I pick up an Xbox controller. There's like, there's like, it feels like there's forty buttons on it. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I think now I look forward to having the controller, which are completely voice controlled and vision controlled. 
this uh, new, new new kinds of controllers are coming into the market. <laughs> That's going to solve that. I'll need you don't need hand eye coordination. Yeah, that would be wild if I just have to see things to make things happen. Curiously, you know, right now you're currently living in the Bay Area. You are from Purdue University, is that right? That's right, Boilermaker. There you go. Do you still cheer for Purdue in any way? No, of course, yeah. Except that we are not doing well in football. <laughs> What's your favorite thing to do in the Bay Area? A hike. I have a puppy. I like to go out with my puppy hiking and running. Uh, that's my number one. Number two is, of course, I like jazz. So Jazz? Do you play instruments or just listen? I used to play violin, but not anymore. You're like me. I used to play guitar, but then I don't play it anymore. <laughs> so that's that's awesome, Raj. So now we know when you're not inventing, you know, the next wave of network infrastructure and equipment, you know, right now we're at 5G. Maybe when we go to 20G, we'll lean on you again to help develop some more equipment. When you're not developing equipment, you're hiking, cheering for the Boilermakers, hiking with the pup. Raj, I want to thank you for sharing your story and sharing what you're up to at Juniper Networks. I agree with you. It's a very exciting time to be in the networking space. The amount of things that are going to be unlocked because of these new capabilities is fascinating. And your stories about quantum networking is blowing my mind that we're just going to be transporting just massive data files. I mean, it's it's already fast. Like we already, we already measure pings to, uh, you know, public clouds in the millis nanoseconds or milliseconds. Like what, what are we going to do next? Well, I think what you pointed out is important. Amount of data to be transferred is becoming so huge. Uh, the teleportation updates will accelerate that and make it possible. That's the eight K is going to be just another just normal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries, Raj. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.